shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yell shark, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn, I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the rectal of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger potion. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. back to the Jaws Obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Now we are almost getting close to episode 20. Episode 18 and 19 are going to be precursors to 20, which that means that the information that we are going to have here, we can't jam into episode 20 because um, there is so much going on that we're going to spread this out. So 18 and 19 are going to be very important as we lead into 20. All the episodes of the Jaws Obsession actually tie together. This goes for many uh, past episodes, and it's all going to make sense once we get to 20. Now, my messaging may have been a bit off in past episodes because I've received some emails and comments indicating that uh, some believe that 20 is the end of the series. That is not not a chance. That's not even that's not even close to reality because this is this ride is a long haul. We have a ton of work to get to. Episode 20 is the start. It's the start of us the Jaws fans making Jaws history. If you remember, if you ever looked at the description of the broadcast in whatever platform you're listening on, it all it always ends with "Let's make Jaws history," and it's true. Episode twenty, it's going to be the moment where we all stand together in a Braveheart lineup on top of a hill, and it's going to be a whole army of Jaws fan faithful, and in one voice, we will be able to tell Universal we deserve better, and that's very exciting. So no, episode 20 is not the end, it is the beginning. And that's what I want to stress before we get into this. 18, Quint's death explained. Let's see what we have here. Okay, this is a very, very important episode for uh, myself personally because 
when I was younger and watching Jaws, this is one of the most heartbreaking scenes of the movie, is the death of the world's most iconic shark hunter, fisherman, Quint's death, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. And something always bothered me about the ending. It just didn't seem to fit. Something didn't fit. And I'm sure there's many out there that are listening right now that would agree that something is kind of off with what happens here. However, if we use the expanded Jaws universe lens that we've been establishing here in the Jaws obsession, we actually can see that the death of Quint is, there are so many more layers to the death of Quint that those layers might not be apparent until we actually do some investigating into some of the details of the movie. So the death of Quint, other than the shark, which is obvious, the shark eats Quint. But why couldn't he hold on to that table? Even with a scuba tank rolling across his gloved fingers, why couldn't he hold on to that table? And to find answers to this question, we are going to bring back in this episode our resident Jaws obsession surgeon, Dr. Maria Ianolo. We're going to bring her back. She had an epic appearance uh, back on episode 15 for CSI Amity Island. And she agreed to come back and lend her expertise to prove that there was a lot more going on in that 30 seconds in the 57th, in the one hour and 57th minute of Jaws than we are initially led to believe. If you can remember back in episode 14, right before we got to the Jaws trivia question, we had an email from Graham in Berlin, Germany. Graham wrote in, and I I won't get to the whole email, but Graham wrote in, he also had a problem. He said, do you think one of Hooper's air tanks was really heavy enough to have caused Quint to let go and slip when it rolled on his fingers? Seems like it hurt him, like it crushed his fingers, but I never imagined them to be that heavy. So what we have to first do here is we have to establish that scuba tanks are not that heavy and they will not crush bones. So how are we going to do that? We are going to go to greatdivers.com. I have a list of all the models of uh, Luxfer scuba tanks that are aluminum. Now, this is going to be very close to the U.S. Divers aluminum tank that Hooper was using. And again, before we get into this, everybody can go to uh, JawsOB.com, go to the contacts page. We all know that we can go to the, either the Telegram channel, just go to Telegram at JawsOB, or you go to the Discord server. The links are in the contact page. But I'm going to have show notes up there. I'm going to be referencing photos, and I'm going to be referencing show notes from this scene because I want to be very exact. This is very important because this this has a big play in what we're going to what we are going to encounter in episode 20. If everybody goes to those show notes. Over on the Telegram page, you're going to be able to see everything that I'm referencing. So with GreatDivers.com, we have a list of uh, scuba tanks. And with the Luxfer aluminum models, those are close to the U.S. diver models, what we have is we have the weights when they're full. The weights of a scuba tank of that size with the 3,000 uh, 3, PSI filled, because we have to imagine that they were all filled, right? Um, they range from anywhere from 21.3 pounds to 31.5 pounds. And the, the higher end models, the, the, the larger tanks are going to be the top end is about 40 pounds. Right there, it's not enough to, if it rolls across, if it rolls one foot and rolls onto your fingers, it's not going to crush bone. This isn't the weight of a car. What kind of is shown in the movie is that 
It rolls onto his fingers and it crushes his fingers and he lets go. Scuba tanks do not crush bone and they certainly would not cause an extremely salty fisherman covered in scars and a life of pain to let go of a table. Okay. I'm sure many of us, many of you listening out there have been in situations where you're holding on to something. Either you're holding on to something that's going to, uh, you're trying to save others from getting hurt or you're trying to save yourself from getting hurt. I personally have been in three situations, two in the Coast Guard and one working on high voltage power lines where you're holding on to something and if you let go, something bad's going to happen. And when the adrenaline is going and life is in danger... You're going to hold on and your hand is going to have to come off before you let go, especially in a situation like what Quint found himself in. Something had to have happened physically with his arm in order for his mechanical skills of his, in order for him to mechanically lose control of his hand and let go and the way he snaps his arm away. So we're going to answer all that. But right now, let's just establish right now that a 25 to 30 to 40 pound scuba tank is not going to crush his fingers. There's actually evidence later on in this 30 seconds that shows that his fingers are just fine. They are not crushed, but he does let go. So what we have to do now is we have to look back into the movie. There might be some clues that Quint gave us that leads us to believe he had a medical condition. He was suffering from a physical ailment that would not allow him to hold on to that table in that position. So let's go to earlier in the movie when he's talking to Hooper inside the Orca. Let's play it. Well, nope, now, listen, I don't know about that, but I entered an arm wrestling contest in Loki Bar in San Francisco. You see this? Well, I can't extend that. Do you know why? Got to the semifinal, celebrating my third wife's demise. Big Chinese fella, he pulled me right off. The quote, I entered an arm wrestling contest in an Oki bar in San Francisco. See this? Now I can't extend that. You know why? Because in the semifinal, celebrating my third wife's demise, big Chinese fella pulled me right out. This line is put in there by Robert Shaw. This is not a line that's in the screenplay. It's not in one of the screenplay. It's not the screenplay that Carl Gottlieb and Peter Benchley are credited with. And it's not in the screenplay that Peter Benchley turned into Universal that was also worked on by Howard Sackler. So this is a line that was put in during that time, and I think this was Robert Shaw's contribution to the character of Quint, and there is a reason why he put that in. He had an arm wrestling injury that won't allow him to extend his arm. He actually, it's it hurts him so much, and he can't extend his arm so much, he actually tells Hooper it's in his repertoire of scars that he has that he's going to tell Hooper about. So this is a serious injury that occurred and that it hurt him to the point where it's been lingering this long that he's going to bring it up. It's one of his major, major battle wounds. So right now we are proving that Quint was suffering from an injury where he could not extend his right arm because he's using his right arm to demonstrate this. Now let's try to boil this down. When do you think that this would have happened? When do you think this injury would have occurred? We're going to use two clues in the movie. Number one is Quint is wearing an M51, an M1951 field jacket throughout the movie. Uh, the M1951 field jacket was based on the M1943 field jacket. So in World War II, they had a, and, and towards the end of World War II, 
they would have had a field jacket, and then that was redesigned into the M51 field jacket, which we see Quint wearing the olive drab jacket that he was issued, and he's wearing it throughout the, the movie in Jaws. So we know, we have to now know, that he was in the Navy up to 1951. Quint's detail of the arm wrestling tournament was in an Oki bar in San Francisco. Now in San Francisco, that is the city closest to the Mare Island, Mare Island, which was the shipyard where the Indianapolis was. That's where Indianapolis would have been dry docked for repairs. It, it actually left for sea trials from there. Quint spent a lot of time in San Francisco. In, in both his time on board the Indianapolis and afterwards when he decided to stay in the Navy. How do we know he decided to stay in the Navy when all the other survivors of the Indianapolis actually got out of the Navy? Quint stayed in because he has an M51 field jacket. So we know that he stayed in from the end of World War II in 1945 all the way to 51. So in that time, he would have been around San Francisco. He probably might have gotten a job at Mare Island or in another capacity, but the simple fact is is that he was in the San Francisco area, he was very familiar with that, and in 1951 is probably when he had this injury, because then after that injury, he would have been discharged from the military, and he would have had this jacket. What was he doing for that six years in 1945 to 1951 when he was issued this jacket? Episode 20. That's what we... There's a, I'm telling you, there is so much more going on here. Now, we could do a whole episode on just Quint's wardrobe. There's a lot of clues in what he wears throughout the movie, but what we're doing is we're gonna, that's for another episode. Right now, we're establishing that the arm wrestling injury occurred in San Francisco around 1951. Okay, now why is that important? Because that arm wrestling injury, the way it is handled, in 1951 is completely different from the way it's handled today. And to get down to that, what I want to do is I want to drill down on arm wrestling injuries, and I want to bring on our resident Jaws Obsession surgeon, Dr. Maria Iannolo, to explain exactly what the details of an arm wrestling injury and why Quint can't extend his arm. And back on the show after an epic episode 15 is Dr. Maria Iannolo. Welcome back, Dr. Iannolo. Thank you for your time and being here. We're going to get to something very special today. So thank you for joining us on the Jaws Obsession. How are you doing? Oh, I'm very excited to be on the broadcast. This is great. I'm so excited because we're going to tackle a subject that has been very important to myself for a while now. This is a very important episode. So as you know, we're dealing with the subject of Quint, the fisherman in Jaws. You are very familiar with the movie, so we don't need to go over who Quint is. My first question is, arm wrestling injuries can be very serious and catastrophic, especially when between two extremely strong opponents. We do know that Quint has suffered an arm wrestling injury from his story when he's telling Matt Hooper about how he can't extend his, his right arm because of an arm wrestling injury. Could you please describe in detail some of the injuries that result from arm wrestling, the top three being the spiral fracturing of the upper humerus or partial or full bicep tear? or the damage to the radial nerve. Could you please um, start? Well, we'll start by the spiral fracturing of the upper humerus. What what exactly is that? How would that come about from arm wrestling? Okay, so a fracture of the humerus is the most commonly reported injury in arm wrestling. The reason that this can occur, even with with strong opponents that have very dense bone, is because there's a torsional force 
um, the humerus. And so the, the humerus is not designed to be as strong in torsion as it would be, say, in axial loading. Right. So a commonly reported injury is a spiral fracture of the humeral shaft or the distal humerus. Now, a fracture of the distal humerus would typically affect elbow range of motion. And so Quint's uh, assertion that he's unable to fully extend his elbow is likely to relate it to his prior arm wrestling injury. And it speaks to the uh, likelihood that this was a spiral fracture of the distal humerus. Distal humerus being the upper arm area? Yes. Yeah, so the arm, as we reviewed, is the anatomical portion of the body that's between the shoulder and the elbow. Okay. And distal means more towards the uh, the fingers. So distal humerus fracture would be at the lower portion of the humerus. Okay. All right. And and the spiral fracturing means there was a twisting going on. Yes. There was a torsional injury. Yeah. And it, it breaks in an oblique pattern. Okay. All right. Would this also involve a partial or full bicep tear or, you know, when the bicep detaches from bone? Is, the, is that possibility as well? That is possible, but typically not associated with that. Okay. All right. All right. And please explain the damage. Um, how would that also damage the radial nerve? Oh, yeah. So this fracture can traverse a surface area of bone that's rather large. Yep. And the radial nerve courses along the humeral shaft until it reaches the intermuscular septum All right. uh, that's at the distal portion of the lateral humerus and it lies in direct contact with the bone and so when the bone breaks in this one area mm -hmm. there's a high risk of associated injury to the radial nerve wow now radial nerve injury can occur in a couple different ways. Mm -hmm. You could have a complete transection of the radial nerve. Which is a tear? That, a tear, yeah. yeah. So okay. you could have a tear in the radial nerve, but that is not the most common way that the radial nerve is injured. All right. Now, just for, for background also, the radial nerve is responsible for lifting uh, the wrist up. Mm -hmm. So for extending the wrist. Okay. Among other things. Also provides sensation uh, to portions of the forearm and hand. So if the radial nerve is injured, then in the acute period following the injury, uh, you can often find that people would have the inability to extend the wrist. And they have numbness in the hand. Numbness in the hand. Uh, okay. Particularly in the radial portion of the hand, which is the portion of the hand closest to the thumb. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that would affect grip strength, correct? Oh, of course. That would affect grip strength, but uh, it would also affect the ability of the hand to extend. Most of the grip strength is related to the ulnar nerve. Wow. Okay. So the ulnar nerve is the funny bone nerve, right? Correct? That's the... Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So this is not the funny bone nerve, funny bone nerve. This is the radial nerve. And the, the, the funky thing with the radial nerve is that it, you're saying it, it kind of twists and it comes in contact with the bone. So when there is a spiral fracturing, that's where the damage would occur to the radial nerve as well. Yes. Now, yeah. the radial nerve could tear, but that is less likely 
than a stretch injury than a stretch injury. or a traction injury to the radial nerve. That is the most common way that the radial nerve is injured, which is fortunate because it mostly recovers in many cases right. because the actual fibers of the nerve remain intact. Yes. So in not all, but in many cases, the radial nerve can partially or completely recover. Aha. Okay. So if, if, a, if an arm injury of this magnitude were to happen in 1951, which is when I believe, using the clues in the movie, that Quint had suffered this uh, arm wrestling injury was in 1951, how would the treatment differ from that of today compared to back in 1951? Most of the orthopedic fracture fixation techniques have been developed in the more recent past. This fracture, which is the most, the most common uh, fracture in arm wrestling called the Holstein-Lewis fracture, was not even described until 1963. Wow. Uh, so this would have been treated um, with non-operative management, potentially a cast or a splint. Right. But would have most likely resulted in a male union, meaning that it did not heal in an anatomic position. The fracture did not heal in anatomic position, which would cause uh, tightness to the elbow capsule. Mm -hmm. um, even today, wow. when fractures in this area are fixed, uh, patients often lose range of motion and terminal extension of the elbow because of tightness in the capsule of the elbow. Now, this this character has a male union, uh, most likely, and so he would have not been able to extend his arm. So, and, and that's and that's interesting. So, you you now let's let's remind the audience. You are a uh, you are a you are an orthopedic surgeon, and I am an orthopedic surgeon. I specialize in fracture care. Okay, so you know of radial nerve damage. I just want to point out that there's a very dramatic example of this. And also I've seen this type of fracture, but more commonly in our world today, it's from car accidents, snowmobile injuries, motorcycle accidents, um, and arm wrestling is not the sport that it once was. Right, right. It's not as it's not as popular as it once was. So um, so so but that but that but injury is is common. But yes, it's a common injury from other mechanisms. Mm -hmm. However, it is a fracture of the humerus is the most commonly reported injury in arm wrestling. And there is an a dramatic example of this that was on videotape that was at the 1995 World's Strongest Man competition when um, one of the contestants broke the arm of Nathan Jones and you can you can actually see it snap in this video uh, of the World's Strongest Man. Oh my that's perfect so that's what we're going to look at we're, we'll link to that we'll we'll link to that video on our show notes uh, with the 1995 Strongest Man competition of Nathan Jones. And you, you actually, that so that's what the arm injury looks like, is what you're saying. I'm, Correct, that yeah. you can see that, that two worthy opponents 
you know, that's, that can be a, uh, be a result. We've isolated that down, that, that this injury was very possible. Today, the surgery is most commonly done for this injury as opposed to non-operative management. And the surgery is done with plates and screws to restore anatomic alignment to the, to the distal humerus. Wow. Okay. So what, we're, so what you're saying is back then there would have been non-operative management and that makes it with the, the malunion, the anatomic position you're talking about, that Quint pretty much would have suffered the Holstein-Lewis fracture and he would have been in constant, he would have been, the older you get, the more painful it becomes, correct? Um, not necessarily. The fracture of this magnitude has residual effects. Okay. Residual effects. What would those be? The joint stiffness, joint stiffness, uh, specifically of the elbow. Also, in a Holstein-Lewis fracture, the 22% rate of radial nerve palsy. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't experience a, a radial nerve palsy, um, you could still sustain radial nerve damage, just not to the extent that it's classified as a palsy. Okay. And that could include hyperesthesias along the course of the radial nerve. Right. That could include weakness, and that could include pain. Okay. So if a man is complaining 25 years, like Quint was, after an arm wrestling injury, that he can't extend his arm, you're, you're pretty confident that he had this type of uh, catastrophic arm injury from that, and it was never corrected because they just didn't have the surgical procedures back then. That is the most common injury associated with arm wrestling. And he has the residual effects of joint stiffness. Uh, so this is really over, overwhelmingly likely wow. that he sustained a fracture of the distal humerus. Okay. And so this is not, so you, you, you don't think it's as far to go as radial nerve palsy, but you think it was definite radial nerve damage. Yes, there was a radial nerve injury most likely associated with the fracture itself mm-hmm. and with the process of healing in a male United State. That means that he had an injury and that it's possible that he could be put in a position later in life where he could have he the arm could either give out or there could be another injury to it because it was never fully healed. So there was already a it was like a ticking time bomb. That's the kind of route that I'm going. It would be more likely yeah. to sustain a, a repeat injury because the arm is weak, weaker. Right. It doesn't move as well. Um, wow. But even without that, there are significant residual effects from a, a distal humerus fracture that did not heal in a correct position. Okay. And, and w- once again, for the audience, could you describe a few of those effects because that's going to lead us into the next question where we bring to the end of the movie where he's uh, on the orca. What would some of those effects be one more time for the audience? Okay, so effects of uh, residual joint stiffness, inability to extend the elbow. All right. Uh, also effects associated with radial nerve damage that partially but likely did not fully recover. Uh, that would include hyperesthesias, which is uh, the condition of having... Um, numbness and pain and excessive sensitivity to pain uh, throughout the course of the radial nerve. 
which goes down the radial aspect of the forearm to the hand okay. in its sensory distribution. Okay, so this is leading us up to the end of the movie in Jaws. You got to look at Quint is he is really hitting that the cranking mechanism to bring the cage up out of the water. They're trying to save Hooper, so you see him straining on his face. You see him really working that right arm, and then the the shark attacks. The boat is now turned to, let's say, a 45-degree angle, and he grabs a hold of the ledge of the table with his right arm, okay, holding his body weight. Could that, at that point, what the case that we're, I'm trying to make is the uh, sustained, the injury that he had a while ago, that could lead to, in your opinion, could that lead to the loss of control of either the forearm or grip strength and cause his hand to give away during that scene? Well, I think he would have more easy fatigability of that arm Mm -hmm. having had the prior injury that uh, his straining to bring up the cage um, probably caused his arm to fatigue more quickly than if it uh, had never been injured. Let's say he's extended the arm and let's say the radial nerve, it could, could it stretch again? Could it uh, damage to the point where he gets numbness in the hand and he kind of loses control of that right hand? Oh, yes. Yeah. So if he has a repeat stretch injury. Now, remember, his elbow is bent in a, a, as a chronic condition. So if his elbow were to stretch out more than he is accustomed to, that is going to potentially put a repeat stretch injury on the radial nerve. Wow. So there we have it. There there it is. This is a groundbreaking revelation in the JAWS world. You have just isolated down in a medical terms of a physical ailment that Quint was suffering from that led to his death. Because Uh, he had a chronic contraction of the elbow and of the nerve. So a sudden force Mm -hmm. in an extension mechanism is going to cause a repeat stretch on that radial nerve. And that could lead to the flare-up of symptoms that he probably has on a regular basis or an intermittent basis. Wow. And that's why it was my contention the scream is not of pain from the tanks rolling onto his fingers. It's a scream of disappointment and anger that his injury caught up to him again, one more time. And, and that's, that's what makes the scene when, when you realize this, that not, not only does it make the scene more heartbreaking and more dramatic, but you also, now you have to look at that arm wrestling injury was extreme. There's a lot of drama behind that because that's the fateful injury that catches up to him later in life. That's very interesting to me because this is a fracture that we very commonly treat. But to think in the context of this bigger picture and this bigger character, it's just very interesting. Dr. Ionolo, I don't know what to say. You just, you kind of just made uh, Jaws history here. Uh, there's a, there's a thousand Jaws fans that are just with their mouths open at the revelations of this episode. What you've just described when everyone watches the movie from now on they're never going to watch it the same way again and the movie becomes that much more dramatic and that much that much greater than it already was so i want to thank you so much for lending your time to the show definitely love to hear from you again if and when we need your expertise 
Oh, thank you so much. And thank you. I'm so excited to be on your show. Great. Thanks a lot. Have a nice rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye. There's nothing like having a actual surgeon come in and deliver groundbreaking evidence, a groundbreaking testimony. Let's just run down this really quick. The death of Quint takes 30 seconds in the movie. What I have is I have still frames on the show notes of these moments that I'm going to be talking about here. And we're going to run down exactly how the arm wrestling injury that was just detailed by Dr. Iannolo, how that affected and how it plays into the performance of Robert Shaw in that final 30 seconds of Quint's life. At 1 hour 57 minutes and 06 seconds, on that freeze frame, you see that Quint already straining once it, once his arm is initially extended on the table. This is before, if you play it in frame by frame or slow motion, he's already has pain on his face before the scuba tank rolls. Okay, that's a very important moment. The scuba tank rolls across his gloved fingers. And his arm snaps away. And it's not like the 25 to 40 pound cylinder crushed bone. This was more of a malfunction in his arm. If you watch his whole arm, it contracts. Like he pulls his arm back like something either snapped or something gave away. That that radial nerve fired. Obviously the problem, the damage to the radial nerve that happened before through the arm wrestling injury, all that came back to haunt him. So that if you look at how his arm snaps back and he contracts it, that is, it's not just that his fingertips are hurt. It, no, this is the whole arm. So then you go to one hour, 57 minutes and zero eight seconds. So this is two seconds later, Quint reaches up with his left hand. Okay. So as, as the, uh, his initial instinct is to reach up with his left hand to grab for Brody. His right arm is totally useless hanging by his side as he slides out of the Orca cabin. So he loses his grip. Brody loses his grip on Quint and he slides out. Now, why can he not stop himself with his right arm? Because it is completely loss of loss of feeling, loss of motion at this time. The right arm has become momentarily useless. Now we also see a little bit later that Brody has no problem. He's holding on with his right arm and his left arm. And then he stopped himself with both, both arms from sliding out of the doorway to the, uh, in, into the shark. But Quint's already on his fateful slide down into the shark. Eight more seconds later, Quint reaches up. He's grabbing the side of the orca, the gunnel of the orca. He's got his hand on there. And with his right hand, it's his right hand he's grabbing. So no fingers are broken or crushed. You can see that his he's got full, he, his fingers are moving, okay? But he has no strength. He just cannot pull himself up from the shark. There is no grip strength either in his hand. So you can see he actually pulls himself up and then let and then comes back down. You can see he's trying to utilize the hand, but it's completely useless. At one hour, 57 minutes and 21 seconds, Quint is kicking at the shark. His right arm is to his side. He tries to reach up once more to save himself, but there's no strength once again in the arm or hand. So he reaches up for a third time, but that by then it's too late. The shark clamps down on his legs. And at one hour, 57 minutes and 30 seconds, Quint is in the mouth of the shark, but he's reaching for the machete with what? With his left hand. He reaches for the machete. And if you watch really carefully, he tries to transfer it over to his strong arm, which is he's right hand dominant. That's we know that because he fires the he fires the harpoon gun. He fires the M1. He uses his right hand. So 
He transfers that, tries to transfer it over, but his right arm is completely useless and he can't even do that. So he just, his in his dying breath, he's stabbing away at the shark with his left hand. And I'm not saying the scuba tank didn't cause any pain, but it would not cause enough pain for him to let go and snap his arm back like he does in the movie. There are three attempts by Quint to use his right arm and it fails him. The way I watched the movie after I know all these details is that scream is not out of pain. It is out of extreme anger and frustration because I believe that this happened before many times to Quint, that his arm once overworked and this happened more as he advanced in years. Once it got overworked, it would be completely useless. And this is why he wanted to isolate this as one of his one of his battle scars of life to Hooper, that that arm wrestling injury was completely catastrophic to his life. Now, now that we know that, what exactly was he doing in that arm wrestling contest to get injured like that? If we go back in time, there's a whole layer of drama and intensity into him entering that arm wrestling contest. And he was a good arm wrestler. You have to, because he made to the semifinals of this contest. So we know that he was well-versed in arm wrestling, as many of the old-school Navy guys were, that arm wrestling was a way of testing your strength. You had to have tactics. You had to have strength, leverages. In the Navy, back then, arm wrestling was, between sailors, was a was a combative sport. And Quint was very good at this. He made it to the semifinals in an arm wrestling contest in an Oki bar in San Francisco in a dive bar. So we're talking, he went up against some real strong sailors. And it was in the semifinals that he got that catastrophic injury. Now, if you go back in time, you can realize that that plays a big role in two why he couldn't hold on to that table and he falls into the shark. Now, if we only could watch that scene, if we could only know what were the circumstances around that arm wrestling match. Episode 20, everybody, episode 20. That is going to be a game changer because all these questions, they're on their way to getting answered. And I'm extremely excited. Nope, no, listen, I don't know about that, but I entered an arm wrestling contest in Loki Bar in San Francisco. You see this? Well, I can't extend that. Do you know why? Got to the semifinal, celebrating my third wife's demise. Big Chinese fella, he pulled me right off. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. I had a Thank Dr. Maria Iannolo for another great appearance on the Jaws Obsession. Knocked it out of the park with this one. Now we'll never watch The Death of Quint the same again. Everybody, you can go to YouTube. We have a link to the scene on our Telegram page and Discord server. You can watch it and you can actually see that there's much more going on in that scene than just a scuba tank rolling across some fingers.
movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyright Act. The copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the fair use guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. And that's going to do it for episode 18 of the Jaws Obsession. I want to thank you for your time and listening. Remember to go to Etsy.com. Go visit Quint's Shark and Shack. You can find the links in our description below. John Tedder will include a hint on every order into what episode 20 is about, no matter how small that order is. So get those orders in. I'm getting excited. We're almost there, folks. It's been a long way. I appreciate everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu, and show me the way to go home. <laughs>